Hello, everyone, and welcome. It's episode 14 of the Stick to Syracuse podcast. My name is Brent Axe. We are so glad that you are here today. We're going to explore hunger and poverty here in central New York and talk to two gentlemen that are doing something about it. John Tamino from In My Father's Kitchen and El Amin Muhammad from We Rise Above the Streets. If you're someone that wants to help, these two can show you the way. You'll hear their stories coming up. On the sound scene with Kathleen Mason, Todd Hoban of the Todd Hoban Band, who has played with some of the biggest names in music and overcame a health scare to keep on rocking. How'd you find us today on the Stick to Syracuse podcast? Did you follow the link through on Syracuse.com or maybe through social media? All great ways to get in touch with us here, but let me remind you, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud. Just look for the Stick to Syracuse podcast, hit that subscribe button, and it will arrive wherever you listen to podcasts every Monday. That is when this podcast comes out, FYI. Hey, Just Joe, what do you say you get us going? Behind SU Sports, snowstorm weather we pose, Stick to Syracuse today. Soft potatoes, high top dogs, dynasty barbecue all year long. Stick to Syracuse today. It's raining, it's snowing, it don't know where it's going. Stick to Syracuse today. Ladies and gentlemen, your host of Stick to Syracuse, Brett X. The numbers can be sobering. According to government statistics on poverty, Syracuse cracked the top 10 list of U.S. cities with the worst poverty rates. In 2017, 32% of Syracuse residents were living below the poverty line. Half of Syracuse children live in poverty. Think about that for a sec. One in every two kids lives in poverty in the city. Government leaders can only do so much to address the issue. That's why it's encouraging to know there are people out there Elamin Muhammad and John Tamino. Let's start with Elamin. Elamin is an ex-convict and also spent time on the streets, homeless. His organization, We Rise Above the Streets, which you can find on Facebook, with the hashtag If We Eat, They Eat, tries to combat poverty and homelessness in central New York with their signature event happening every Saturday at Lincoln Middle School. It's called Sandwich Saturday. He leads this event because he's been there what it's like to be on the streets. Never judge. Always be kind. When you see somebody out there in need, don't don't turn your back away from them. You know, um, it's not about money. It's always about uh, recognizing that person. So when I was homeless myself, I went through things like that, situations like that, when people had treated me wrong. When I had uh, a can of soda thrown at me because I was smelling and I was sleeping on a park bench and um been in and out of prison, um, originally from Chicago. I've been shot several times, been a gang leader. You know, I'm, 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 you know my life is, a, is, is really a, um, crazy. Um, went through so much trials and tribulations from the streets of Chicago, um, street gang leader, to becoming homeless. John Tomino's life changed when it seemed like he was the only one who saw a homeless man. And that is how In My Father's Kitchen was born with the message, you are not invisible. And how it started was with me getting off the off-ramp 
to Bear Street exit off 81 South. I live on the north side. And there was a guy holding a cardboard sign at the bottom of the off-ramp. And I'm sitting there three cars deep, and I realize no one's looking at him. And I felt that he was invisible, that no one was seeing him, and I needed to do something about it. I needed to feed him. So I went to the Wegmans at the time, and I bought him a sandwich and a cookies and a drink. And I'm like, okay, if he's there, when I come back, I'm going to feed him. So I come back, 20 minutes later, he's still standing there. Now my heart's racing, right? And uh, so I don't just do a drive-by. I pull my car over, I walk over, and I introduce myself to him. And I said, hey, man, my name's John. What's your name? He goes, my name's Tim. I said, well, Tim, I have a lunch here for you if you'd like it. He goes, I'm starving. I hand him the lunch, and I said, I just got to tell you, you're not invisible. You know, God sees you, I see you, and I just wanted to feed you. And when I told him he wasn't invisible, he kind of takes this deep breath in, and he exhales, and his whole body, like, shakes when you get the shutters. And he goes, I feel like nobody sees me. And all of a sudden, he starts to unload, like, 20 minutes of conversation. He just starts to, like, sharing with me his story. He was traumatized as a young boy. He was sexually assaulted. He was had an IEP growing up, so he was always bad in school. He ends up hooking up with the wrong crowd, ends up doing drugs, drops out of school, and becomes homeless. He's now homeless for 10 years. He's telling me all this on an intersection corner, and I'm sitting there, cars are driving all around me, and I'm in this moment. Like, I'm in the ultimate interview, right, for me. Like, I'm in that, on that corner live, some guy unloading his heart to me. And I leave that encounter, and I go home, and I live like three blocks away, and I go to my wife, Leanne, I go, I know what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to find these individuals, tell them they're not invisible, and help them get connected. And that's how my father's kitchen was born in 2011. We Rise Above the Streets has helped hundreds, but I asked El Amin to give us a success story, which led him to tell us about Charles and an unexpected present that El Amin got on his birthday. Great guy. I saw him on the bridge several times. Um, he was in the gang before became homeless, and um, all of a sudden I haven't saw Charles for like a couple of months. And I was kind of worried, like, man, where Charles at? So I, I don't want to, you know, every time you don't see nobody out there, first you think about it, they locked up or something um, bad happened to them. So months went past, so all of a sudden I get an inbox on Facebook, and it was Charles. And Charles said he's back with his mother, he reunited with his son, and he told me, and he thanked me for um, helping him out and he made sure everybody on social media knew that. Um, he spread his, his story to everyone on social media about what we rise above the streets did for him. Then two days later, his mom called me on his phone. His mom called me and told me, thank you for helping my son. That was one emotional time in my life that a mother called me and she was so, so, so um, desperately to meet me. She got face to FaceTime. And so we FaceTime with each other and, we, and I see him in the background with his son and his family, and it was beautiful. And one more on my birthday, nobody don't know about this one. On my birthday, it was a big celebration on Sam Saturday. The community showed so much love to me. I went to the streets. They had everything set up to um, the homeless community. They had cards and everything, beautiful messages to me. So um, a week before my birthday, a lady calls me on my phone. Now, I'll remind you that a lot of people be in their feelings when I go live filming the homeless people. And I try to tell people because, to be honest with you, I could do that because they, they trust me, you know. And if you if you come out there with me, you see they want to get on live to share their story and tell them that how the organization helped them. So uh, the mother called me. She said, um, um, I saw my son on your live, and I need to speak with you. So I met her at Starbucks on Rio Boulevard. We sat and talked, and I went through all my lives, and she pointed them out. I was like, wow, that's Jeff. 
I said, wow, Jeff is a great guy. He said, that's my son. I haven't saw my son in 15 years. Can you please um, um, show me where my son at? So it was like a Tuesday, and I told her, you know, you probably gotta wait till Saturday, because when you're homeless, you don't sit in one spot. You travel a lot, so it's gonna be hard to find Jeff. So Saturday came. I was so, I couldn't even go to sleep through the whole week. I was trying to wait till Saturday come. So on my birthday, we went out there, and guess who's, who, guess who's right there front of the line? Jeff was. Mother came, they seen each other, they hugged each other, and that was one of the most beautiful birthday presents I ever had. When I went to visit John, a success story from In My Father's Kitchen was sitting right there with us. Meet Kevin. A little over five years ago, I was homeless, panhandling. I was addicted to alcohol and drugs, um, living under a bridge, um, which is when I met John. And like he said, like with John, the first time he came by, he just says, you're not invisible, I see you. So that, for me, that touched me, you know, and then... So as I got to know him, he would bring me lunch or clothes or whatever, and you know, and I got to trust him. So I trusted John, and so my younger brother was also homeless at the time. He uh, started a fire in an abandoned house, and he died in that fire. So that was kind of the turning point for me. Um, so a few months later, I went to a Salvation Army rehab, which is a Christian-based program, um, and John would come and see me on the weekends. Um, and he was like a mentor to me. Um, and he helped me, every, you know, every step of the way. He was right there. He helped me, helped me get back on my feet, get my first apartment, get a job, get my driver's license back. All these things that I thought were gone for good. So now, five years later, here I am. I'm back with John working for him. And, you know, I get a chance to give back to, to what's been given to me. So what can we do to help? can always donate or volunteer at one of these great organizations, but both John and El Amin offer a little more advice. So I say, if you're someone who's driving around town and you're coming into the city all the time, you're going to run into these individuals holding these signs. So if we're going to talk about our sector, what we do, working with panhandlers and stuff, we encourage you not to give money because we know that money goes to vices, right? And especially if you're an addict, 90% of our individuals that we engage regularly are addicted to something. And the other rest of them have mental health and some of them have both. So how do you engage with someone then? So my suggestion would be to get connected to organizations that are working with that sector, right? Or you could preemptively create, like if you know you're coming into the city every day and that's your exit and you know you're going to run into this person all the time, I say preemptively create a goodie bag, like a Ziploc gallon size bag and put some basic necessities in there, toiletries, uh, deodorant, toothbrush, toothbrush, wet wipes, a granola bar, a Dunkin' Donuts gift card. Um, you could put our information in there or other service providers' information. So, hey, and say, I have something for you. Give them the power of choice. They might not want it. If they say no, you don't get offended, but you, at least you roll the window down and you engage someone. And if they take it, you let them know that you got information in there for them to get help if they want it, especially now with this higher ground program. We're using 211 in Central New York as the, the phone number to call to get find out information about our program. So you could tell that homeless person standing in the corner saying, hey, if you call 211, there's a program out there who's doing day labor. You could call them and they'll tell you where to go and how to get connected. This don't stop here. This is a platform for you to be kind and be compassionate and have goodness in your heart. So when you leave here and you can continue doing this when you're somewhere front of a store or you see somebody holding a sign and you got your kids with you, you know, and it's a great opportunity to give them that Ziploc bag. But if you don't got no money, you know what's the most beautiful thing? 
beautiful thing, more than money, more than hygiene, is to recognize that person on that corner, to wave at them and say hi. Because you know why? Because when I was homeless, when somebody looked at me and said hi, that was like a, man, I can't even describe it, like a bright sunshine just came over me because nobody haven't talked to me for months because I'm invisible. Then all of a sudden somebody say something to me, smile at me, and that made my whole day. It might sound simple to people that who lives a daily life, interact with a lot of people in this world, but you're dealing with a homeless people whose people don't even pay attention to, or walk over them, judge them, and all of a sudden you got that one person through the whole month comes there and say that you are somebody. So just think outside the box, uh, get creative, and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of someone who looks a little bit different than you. We all have a story. Sometimes our stories, we get to, we hide behind our masks, and we get to clean them up a little bit where their stories are wide open for all of us to see. You can find We Rise Above the Streets on Facebook. And coming up on May 25th at Billings Park is the third annual cookout for the homeless. You can find In My Father's Kitchen on Facebook and Instagram or at inmyfatherskitchen.org. Look for their delicious pasta sauce. It's John's grandmother's recipe at local Wegmans. Todd Hoven is an American singer-songwriter and founder of the Todd Hoven Band. The original members continue to play in a dedicated and growing fan base, delivering the legendary performances that made them one of rock's hardest-working and well-traveled bands. The music is distinctly American, driving and powerful. They've played thousands of shows and have shared the stage with the greatest bands of their time, from Beach Boys and Kinks to the Allman Brothers and Oates. And as you'll hear on the sound scene with Kathleen Mason from K-Mace Productions, Todd recently overcame a health scare to keep on rocking. Just the other day I found myself talking to a wall. Don't know why. Makes no sense at all. Oh, we dream, believe, and fools are in our glory. Just before we fall. But I got my dream, my own peculiar story. Don't leave before you find out if it's true Because when it is time to take the final inventory I didn't have a lot of choice in the matter. I mean, my dad was an opera singer and a teacher, and um, so I never knew any other way. You know, it was just like, well, that's what you do. You sing. Yeah, you wake up in the morning and you sing. Uh, so uh, that's what I did. And, and from 1962, I, I started playing the kind of music that, that I liked that was out there. It was rhythm and blues. Loved that stuff. Still do. And then shortly after that, the Beatles landed. And that kind of shook everybody up. So I started writing songs. And, you know, boy, what a, a great time to be learning how to write songs. You know, you think Lennon McCartney is a blueprint for how you put a great song together. So that's, that's literally what I've been doing for the, for the last 50-some-odd uh, uh, years. Fortunately for me, you know, I uh, ran into some guys. Uh, uh, I had already graduated from college, you know, with music degree. 
And I went back to my music school and I found uh, some people that I just uh, loved uh, as musicians and as people. And we put a band together. It's been 45 years, same wow. guys, uh, with a few exceptions, you know. Um, but Doug Moncrief and I have been together all of those years uh, with my brother, my brother Sean. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's really my story is, is wrapped up in, in that group of, of people. Uh, but through yeah. the years, you played with some greats, though. Just, oh, a, just yeah. a little rattle off. Oh, that's scary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, and again, I was, I was very, very fortunate, you know, to play with uh, uh, James Cotton, you know, Muddy Waters fame. And, uh, of course, we toured heavily with uh, the Beach Boys and the Kinks, um, the Allman Brothers. Hollow Notes were, were good to mm-hmm. us. Um, gee, Richard Marks. It's, it's kind of weird to kind of list them all. Um, what, what usually happens to me is... Uh, you know, you turn on the radio and you start listening and, uh, oh, wait, yeah, I know, I know them. Oh, I know that. Oh, I know that. <laughs> uh, so it's, I'm lucky. I, I got a chance to play with some of the greatest musicians of the era. teach in town. Mm-hmm. I teach at LeMoyne. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is something that sort of happened late and in, in, if I can call it a career. I, you know, if you do something you love, it's not really a career. It's just like you're sort of what you do. Um, but I was, uh, Andy Russo and I were doing some things together, you know, and one day he said, you know, uh, and he was at the time, he was the head of the LeMoyne music department. And he says, gee, wouldn't it be great if you could tell some of these stories you know, to, to our students at LeMoyne. And we sat down, I, I think it was on a napkin, and we wrote out the syllabus for the, this history of rock, which is basically, you know, my story of, of rock and roll. Um, and uh, I, I've been just loving doing that for almost 10 years now. I've seen the show. We did the show yeah, together, yeah, and it was great. I oh, loved it. Um, and And for history buffs like me and mm-hmm. I was a, a music major and I loved music history so that was really really great it's a really good show yeah um, I go way back don't I yes, I, mean, I, I like to you do you, you know with my father being an opera singer you know basically he was a pop singer of his day right but that's know. the derivation I mean yeah. you need to do that um the one of the big shows and people are starting to hear a little bit about it now is on my birthday which is July the 13th uh, I'll be turning 70. and Unbelievable. If, if people could see this gentleman, <laughs> go to his website. It's unbelievable. He's a freak of nature, yeah. really, yeah. <laughs> in a good way. 
Uh, so on that day um, for my birthday, what I've decided to do is uh, a benefit performance with some dear, dear friends of mine for Benny Mardonis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talked to Benny um, last month, and, and it's been a rough go. I'm not going to lie. It's been really tough. He sounded great and upbeat and, you know, typical Benny, but he's fighting it, you know, and it's been really rough, broken hip. Um, you wow. know, he's got these electrodes in his skull to help with the Parkinson's, and uh, he's been in a wheelchair, you know, for 160, 180 days, and, and he's fighting back hard, mm-hmm. um, and you know, he promised me he's going to make it. He's going to come out and, and be here to say goodbye to everybody on wow. that day, July 13th. And I'll have my band, you know. I, I, now, he's not originally from here, but no. he blew up here. Yeah. Um, I, I remember I remember that one tune, and everybody <laughs> yeah. loved it. It was, it was like a prom hit for, for people. I'm dating myself. But it was, it's a, it was a prom hit. Not my prom, but yeah. it was a prom hit. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so that's wonderful that you're, mm-hmm. you're giving back to him. Um, one last little thing. This is the year anniversary from an untimely event that happened to you, which was your stroke, which is unbelievable. You are a phenom, like a force to be reckoned with. I've been watching your recovery, and yeah. you're incredible. Um, uh, two things about that. One, all strokes are not the same. When mm-hmm. you have uh, this sort of brain attack, you know, and what happened was, for me, an ischemic stroke, which means that oxygen wasn't getting to my brain. Blood flow uh, was pinched off right here in my uh, carotid artery. And uh, the parts of the brain that were damaged for me, and they were on both sides, um, it caused some paralysis on, on my left side. Of course, if you know about playing the guitar, you need that left hand really, mm-hmm. really bad. Um, but I was able to speak. Um, I was able to get around with a cane. I, you know, uh, did the right thing. Um, and not at first, by the way. There were there were some early signs that I should have mm-hmm. seen. I did not see them. Uh, but when the strokes really took hold, um, I, I dialed nine one one and and said, "Take me to Kraus," and that uh, probably saved my life. Mm-hmm. And I started my recovery immediately. In fact, uh, uh, Doctor Padalino. I, and, you know, I'm lucky. I'm in good shape. Yeah. Okay. So he said, look, we're going to operate on you right away. So literally within 24 hours of hitting the hospital, mm-hmm. I was on the operating table and they cleared uh, my carotid artery. Uh, it's a difficult operation. Mm-hmm. Um, he's genius. Uh, Krauss does it great. And I started my recovery. Um, I was healthy enough to, to go through that operation. So my first bit of advice to anybody, you know, my age, most of the strokes are uh, 75% of strokes are people over 65. And, and my, my, you know, okay, obviously you got to stop smoking. You got to eat right. Be in the best shape of your life because if you have to go, if God forbid you have a stroke, uh, you want to be healthy. Mm-hmm. You want to be able to survive that operation. So, you know, different strokes, different things. But for me, uh, my kids brought me my guitar uh, hours after I was off the operating table. And, wow. and I started playing. I love it. Yeah, very poorly, by the way. It was, it was <laughs> terrible. I couldn't hold a coffee cup. I couldn't, you know, pick up anything. Right. I couldn't. But I, yeah, I did not want to lose that part of my life, you know. Right. 
So um, I... I think part of recovery is doing things that you love, gives you reasons to strive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's difficult if, if someone doesn't have a support system or someone doesn't have. M- music is such a heal-all. It really is. And now, sounds from our next episode. After 17 albums and over 3,000 shows in North America, 200-plus original songs, 28 Grammy ballot nominations, and over 30 years in the music industry, Charlie Orlando has settled into a multifaceted music career. He's working on three different albums. That's right, three different albums at the moment. And hopefully, that new music will see the light of day in 2019. That's next time on the Stick to Syracuse podcast. We thank you for listening to episode 14. Don't forget you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and SoundCloud. My name is Brent Dax. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, Hills is where the toys are. And it's just damn lazy To deny the ties that bind 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 So please, please, please Take it easy on each other 